Three C's in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Hello and welcome to Three C's in a Pod from Provision Advisors, where we give you insights and analysis on the day's hot topics and trends from a communications angle. We're going to center our discussion today on what we've each seen in our rearview mirror this week, everything from yesterday's eye-opening White House press conference on COVID-19 to the continued fallout from the U.S. Navy aircraft carrier Theodore Roosevelt. We'll examine what has taken place just since last week. A lot can happen in a short period of time. We'll also bring you an exclusive interview with Mike Ricci, Director of Communications for Maryland Governor Larry Hogan. With the COVID-19 taking center stage across the nation, we'll ask why it's important for Governor Hogan to get this right for Marylanders and the example they wish to set for the country. So let's jump right in. This has been an intense week of information across the globe. John, what's center focus in your rearview mirror? So I'll start with the USS Theodore Roosevelt issue. We talked about it a bunch on the last pod. Since the last pod, there uh, have been many updates and changes and, and variations in the story. Um, and, and the Navy now finds itself really at the center of the crosshairs and, and the center of a big story which is hard to do in the midst of a global pandemic, but then the Navy has found a way. And uh, the, the purpose of this pod isn't to Monday morning quarterback uh, too much, but to just to observe what those trends are, how they arrive on those trend lines and how they get themselves off of that trend line or that glide slope, should it be a negative, obviously was the actions by Acting Secretary Modley, which we talked about on the last pod, eventually resulted in his ouster. Um, he... Uh, resigned, um, wrote a very heartfelt final vector, so to speak, uh, to the fleet uh, to try to frame why he did what he did. But as a communicator, you know, not to oversimplify the problem, I, I think it was just a matter of, of, a, of an individual uh, getting outside of his lane um, and, and uh, using uh, a channel, in this case, the ship's loudspeaker or 1MC, to say things that in the end cost him his job. Um, I find that very interesting. And I also find it interesting now that all of these, all, uh, all of this tumult, uh, you know, these personnel actions, the firing of Crozier, the Crozier getting COVID-19, one of his sailors tragically dying uh, in the last two days, four other sailors being in ICU. We've got a, a, a really evolving story here um, and yet you find, as the Navy is wrapping up its investigation about uh, Captain Crozier's actions or inactions, you know, that the, the commentary now is whether the, the Chief of Naval Operations, Admiral Gilday, will take the resultant investigation and reinstate Captain Crozier, which I think is one of those Hollywood endings a lot of people out there who aren't necessarily in, in Navy circles are rooting for. Um, but is it a good thing? I don't know. Is it likely? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think it's a 0% chance that they take a captain who's been fired and they reinstate him. We could go on all day with my reasoning there, but I think for no other reason than the president is on the record having said that this captain did something dumb, deserved his ouster. Uh, is it in the president of the United States DNA to walk back something uh, that he said and, and make himself look like a hypocrite? He, he certainly has seemed reticent to do that in the past. Also, if Captain Crozier is reinstated, I think the president fears that, that Captain Crozier becomes the hero. Um, it isn't like Eddie Gallagher in giving him his trident back. Uh, so I, I watched that pretty closely. Chris, I know you had an opinion on it. Um, I'll toss it to you before we get into, uh, into the COVID crisis. 
Yeah, very quickly. Um, in our lessons learned uh, for the crisis that we've shared a, a few times over social media in our weekly clips, one of the lessons was you are who you are uh, in the crisis. And I, I think for the Navy, that that's the real challenge. I think right now they are who they are uh, in this crisis. The, they're a service that has struggled of late to clearly communicate key functions and key issues, whether that's uh, the size of the force, whether that's what they do day in and day out, whether that's communicating to sailors and families day to day. I think you're seeing a lot of trouble throughout the Navy in how they're communicating, not just the Theodore Roosevelt issue, but there's lots of word that the communication down to the sailors and families has left a lot to be desired. As we know, a part of that is the individual communicators that work for the Navy, but a bigger part of that is leadership and the commitment that leadership has to transparent and active communication. Zooming back out, the Navy has a, a real opportunity, uh, like they had in other national crises, to show that they get it, um, that they understand the trust and confidence that the American people place in them and to try to figure a way to um, get this right in the end. And maybe that's returning Captain Crozier to command. Maybe it's not. But the way it's handled and how and what maybe communicates coming out of that investigation will be very important to the service's reputation moving forward. We've each sat uh, over the past few weeks uh, and watched this this timeline uh, of, of unfortunate events culminating yesterday with the death uh, of a sailor uh, from this virus. Um, it saddens me because I just I know that it's not going to end here. Uh, I know there is uh, there is more news uh, to come. Regrettably, from my standpoint, I, I just want the Navy, the Navy leadership to please continue to put the focus on the sailors. Please understand that it, that it begins and ends uh, with the men and women in uniform. Put these sailors first. Um, they're out there already making a sacrifice. Um, and, and I just hope the Navy is doing the right thing uh, to protect them uh, and ensure their, uh, ensure their welfare. Also, as we look back in our rearview mirror, gentlemen, um, there was a, the White House has taken to um, providing a daily COVID-19 uh, press conference. Uh, we went from seeing a, uh, a White House press room uh, that, uh, that, that got little to no activity, um, you know, in the, in, in the months uh, preceding this virus, this pandemic, uh, and now we see it in use, the press briefing room, uh, most every day here. But yesterday, we saw a rather eye-opening um, uh, presser uh, your take, uh, Chris. I, I'll, I'll throw to you first. Uh, um, I believe I believe you you were w witnessing it in real time. Uh, do you have any comments? Any any feedback? Uh, I mean, strictly from how you know how leadership communicates, how um, how the press uh, reacts to uh, uh, to the White House and to the president. Uh, what did you think of the theatrics, uh, to say the least, that took place yesterday? So I think the president has jumped the shark with these briefings. They are no longer um, helpful. They're no longer helpful from an information standpoint, but also no longer helpful from a reassuring the public that the White House has their act together and has the best interests of the American people 
uh, in the country writ, writ large. So if I was advising the president, I would say, hey, figure out another way to get your message out and to provide information to those that, that need it. Because I think politically he has a desire to get his message out. And um, from an office standpoint, he has a responsibility to get information out to the media, but also to the larger uh, American public. In terms of yesterday's particular press conference, I mean, it just was embarrassing on every level. Um, the president's behavior continues to be less than presidential. His badgering of the media um, and picking fights with the media, and to some degree, the media kind of taking the badgering and taking the um, debate and fighting back with him and giving him the combative scene that he's after is just really tired and played, especially given the fact that we're in, in a crisis. So um, if I had my way, we would figure a way to listen to doctors Fauci and uh, Burks so that we get the information uh, every now and again, hear from the vice president or hear whoever is of relevance within that um, COVID-19 task force, um, and then look for the president to use other means to uh, get his rhetoric and uh, political slogans out. Uh, John, how about you? What were your thoughts? Yeah, I'm no longer angry about it anymore. Maybe that's the the administration, you know, exacting some sort of victory over me. But um, I, I'm I'm merely disappointed, and, and my disappointment is reinforced every time. I I just don't like it. Uh, this has nothing to do with politics. Whether I'm pro or anti-abortion or pro or anti-big government or whatever your traditional party line affiliations are. This has nothing to do with it. And Chris said it very well. I, I just want someone to stand up there and be presidential. I want someone to stand up there and treat the media with respect. Um, and I know that, that I know that he claims and his administration claims that they don't get a commensurate amount of respect from the media. But I, I do believe that they've all played a role in, in turning this into something that just shows us in a very negative light. And so with that, I, I am refreshed as a Marylander, as the, as the one Marylander here in the DMV of, of, our, of our tripod um, of, of ProVision consultants. You know, I, I, I am very struck by how well the Hogan administration is doing things. They've, they've walked a very fine line of somewhat critical of the president. Uh, they haven't really gotten to the Mario Mario Cuomo, I was about to age myself there, to the Governor uh, Cuomo, um, Mario was his father, of course, a uh, tet uh, that he's having with the president, which is really feeding this dysfunctional narrative I was talking about before. But then the Hogan administration also does a very good job of putting the fun back into fundamentals and just making sure that they're communicating to Marylanders, making sure that Marylanders know that they are number one on their priority list. There is no show. There is no uh, running for re-election. There is no self-aggrandizement. There's just genuine concern for Marylanders. And, and Hogan's communications team, and, and I wrote an op-ed this week in the uh, Capitol, which you guys helped me with, but all of our products are really uh, consortium efforts. But you know, we talked about you know, how well the Hogan communications team has done uh, being omnipresent, being being there, understanding their audiences, responding, being transparent. 
Uh, and so we were lucky enough this week to have the Hogan Administration's Communications Director, Michael Ricci, on as guest here on the uh, preseason of POD, and really a very good guest to talk about how they've approached this communications problem, how they've risen above, and how they've leveraged good relationships. And I'm going to footstomp this point, good relationships with the media in order to exact success and keep Marylanders safe and calm during this crisis. So uh, with that, we'll kick it to the uh, Mike Ricci interview. Enjoy the content. And joining us now is Michael Ricci, the communications director for Governor Larry Hogan. Uh, Mike, thank you very much for joining us on Three Season Pod. Thanks for having me. You and the governor have had uh, quite a, uh, a busy six or so weeks. Not only has the gov governor been out front and center, both from a Maryland standpoint, but also from a national standpoint, but you and your team have been out front and center as well, uh, answering constituent questions and making sure that Marylanders and the shadow audience from the district uh, in Virginia understand uh, what the governor is trying to do to keep mm -hmm. Marylanders safe. In your two previous jobs, you worked for uh, the Speaker of the House, uh, Paul Ryan mm -hmm. and uh, John Boehner. What, uh, what lessons or what experiences from that job have helped you get up to speed in the year or so that you've been with uh, Governor Hogan? I would say that you, uh, legislative branch, you get used to a certain rhythm of how situations are going to evolve, especially when you're in the majority, you know, writing bills. Um, you're only focused though on one thing. You know, you're you're talking about maybe two to three issues at a time in Washington. You're working on a bunch of stuff, but you're talking about you know we talked about in 2017 we talked about healthcare for a while, then we did tax reform for the second half of the year. So one issue tends to dominate for a while, whereas at the state level, uh, you know, any given day, even before this crisis, you know, you could be talking about you could have one call about food stamps and then a meeting about uh, prison population, and then a meeting about transportation projects. So you have to constantly um, compartmentalize. You know, you have to not only go from topic to topic, but remember who your audience is in each meeting or each encounter. You know, you might be talking to a reporter, might be talking to a constituent, you might be talking to a legislator, and so you're constantly um, you're constantly compartmentalizing, which we had to do on the Hill, but not at this level and pace, basically. So it's a, a sort of a sped up version of that. And, you know, you try to, it's like a quarterback, you know, you try to slow the game down and have it come to you. But um, it's harder in this environment because there's just so much happening at once. And to the person that you're dealing with, usually, whether it's an advocate or the reporter, usually it's like the most important thing to them, right? Like they're covering this story. They know more about it than you do. That's always kind of a scary feeling at first. And you're just kind of coming from a meeting about something else or a discussion on something else. So that's the biggest lesson that I learned coming up was how to compartmentalize and how to go from one thing to the other. I have to do it here at much more rapid speed. But I think that's an important skill for communicators to have and to not try to bring the same approach to every situation. You know, every issue is different. How people care about different people care about different issues, different ways. Some issues require more thoughtfulness. Some require more speed. So I think that's the the big one that comes to mind is compartmentalization. Before I pass it to John, uh, you know, going from Speaker Boehner to Speaker Ryan now to Governor Hogan, uh, how long did it take you to adjust to Governor Hogan style, or, or were you able to jump right in? There were certain things I was able to jump right into. 
Um, you know, at the time Governor Hogan was being approached about running for president in 20 this year, and I was able to, uh, it was interesting, I was able to uh, sort of apply that experience of dealing with the Washington political press corps, so to speak, um, and I had to get up to speed more on the state side of things, especially dealing with our legislative session, which we were at the end of, I think, when I got here. Um, so um, it took me, it, it took a while because I had been on the, I've been in Capitol Hill and on the legislative branch, totally different branch, and never been in the executive branch before, really. And uh, it's hard to fathom going back now, but um, it, it did take it did take some time. But you know, working with people who have been here longer, and um, you know, admitting that I had things to learn, sort of always part of my style anyway. So it was okay. Um, but there are things that to me were, you know, being involved in the day-to-day -day decisions of the executive branch is a totally different level. And that certainly did take time uh, to adjust. John, you touched on what Chris and Bashan and I found to be the main uh, secrets to success or one of the secrets to success when we were in the Navy doing uh, public affairs from that's relationships. You know, you're following, you know, kind of a long line of pretty successful communications people in that office. Matt, uh, who's now back there as the chief of staff. Uh, Doug Mayer, Amelia Chasse, and now you. Um, how did you? And, and noted in, in this question is is the plaudits you're receiving from Jennifer mm -hmm. Franciotti at BAL or John Frenet at Ion Annapolis from the strategic level down to the tactical level. You and Kata are are deservedly being praised for your relationships and for your almost omnipresent approach to getting word out not only on on Twitter but but through all the channels. You know, how, how difficult was it for you to establish those relationships? Was the COVID crisis kind of the, the prime mover, at least the spark for you to, to build those relationships sure. up to a level that, that you currently enjoy? Or had you already done a, a bunch of that work thanks to predecessors leading up to this crisis? So this is an excellent question because I have been thinking about this. Um, I would say that for me, uh, a big part of this job being communications director is about building a culture. And when I came in, I was trying to build a culture of uh, working with reporters in good faith and trying to establish things in my style, which is um, not as political as my predecessors. And at times that worked for me, but there were times that, especially during the legislative session, I think people are looking for a more uh, pugilistic style. And that's not always definitely necessarily my strength, um, admittedly. Um, you know, I worked in capital politics for many years and eventually you just grow tired of the same cycle of, you know, hit, uh, response, uh, counterpunch, and it just uh, kind of worn on me. Um, but I think that approach, when the crisis started, what I came to realize was that I had established a culture of being open and transparent with people and people saw us here and our team as uh, credible. And I think that's very important. It's important that people are able to get information from reliable sources. And that's one of the challenges the White House has right now is that they have not previously established themselves as credible uh, communicators, right? So one of their challenges is trying to overcome that. Whereas here, because the governor is so accessible to the press, I mean, the governor, anytime he does any kind of public event, he wants to do a gaggle, he wants to take questions from local media. Um, we are, we have several, we have great uh, spokespeople here on the front lines who are responsive to not just our state house press corps, but you mentioned some of our TV folks and folks and uh, we talked to throughout the day. So being responsive, being accessible, 
um, it, <clears throat> it made it easier for us to kind of ramp up in this crisis and to be uh, on the front lines with responding to things because we had already established, you know, kind of a reputation for being uh, open. But uh, yeah, you mentioned the folks before me, and including Matt, who's still here. And uh, you know, I talked I talked to them uh, throughout this. Um, you know, we get ideas from them, and um, that, as you know, is like another important thing in this business is just try to pick people's brains and, and get ideas, and uh, you know, keep those channels open too. Yeah, for sure. And I'll do one quick follow-up before I toss it to Bashan. So just on a tactical level, how do you prepare for each day? I know that you and Kata have an understanding. You know, you, you've worked with Matt and the governor and the lieutenant governor probably to you know, figure out, hey, this is what tomorrow looks like. But almost every single day with this crisis, you don't know what POTUS is going to tweet and numbers are going to do overnight. And so there's a little bit where you show up in the morning and all of a sudden you've got an audible at the line of scrimmage. How do you, have you found that to be more of the norm or do you think like planning the night ahead, kind of coming up with a little bit of a playbook has allowed you mm -hmm. to prepare better or have you just really improvised well? Yeah, I wish I could tell you that we had gotten to the point in this where every day is predictable. Um, you know, we try to plan before we leave you know, we know when our next press conference is. Generally, we know when our next big interview is, and we try to um, we try to tie things to those as announcements. and And we know that we're going to release our numbers at 10 o'clock. Um, our press conference coming up. We know what our big follow up questions are going to be. And as you see, we try to, uh, you know, Kate and I prepare for that sort of Twitter back and forth and uh, and all that. But uh, I would be like, you know, I. I always try to make a list at the beginning of the day of the things that I want to be proactive about, ideas that I want to put into the uh, into the bloodstream. But uh, as you know, in these jobs, only so many of those usually end up happening in the course of the day. But I keep trying to push them along, and um, you know, but we do try to we at least try to plan, you know, five to seven days ahead where we want to be, especially now as we look at um, the problem is we just don't have, and this relates back. I mean, it is a public health crisis, and we are guided by that and you know we just don't have enough data yet to know where we're going right so it, it's harder to say okay um <clears throat> like i was talking to governor christie's team from when they did from when they went through uh hurricane sandy and you know that was a storm that came and then there was a phase then there was a recovery phase and that was all sort of predictable for them and they were able to plan you know three six nine months it's just hard for us to, there's still so many variables right for us right now so that's one of the reasons why we have to take it you know, day by day, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. Thank you. Mike, Bashan Mann here. I, I'm listening intently to, to every word that you're, uh, that you're dropping on us today. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Um, listen, there, there's no shortage of professional communicators, uh, both inside and outside of the Beltway, that are offering up um, self-proclaimed wisdom and sage advice, uh, <laughs> you know, for, for how to communicate during this, during this pandemic, during this, this crisis. Um, so, but I, you know, I want to ask you, you know, first of all, the, you know, there's a reason uh, that we that we came to you. I, I mm -hmm. really appreciate uh, and respect uh, what we've seen from you uh, in the team in Governor Hogan's office. Um, but but just what if, the, you know, whether it's, it's one thing or a couple of things mm -hmm. that you would say this is this has helped me. This is, uh, you know, proven to be uh, a way for me to successfully move through uh, this issue thus far. Uh, can you can you share anything? You know, you know what sure. is it uh, that that you would say? You you wake up every day and say, "This is how 
uh, we're going to move through this? Um, what are those mechanics? Sure. Well, there's three things come to mind. First is that we, it's a rapidly evolving crisis and we try to adapt our communications every day to that. You know, there are things when we began here that I didn't really take into account, like the importance of having a sign language interpreter at press conferences, um, having a span, having a page for Spanish speakers. Mm. Um, and we've just, instead of sort of uh, applying an old rule book, we've just kept evolving as we go. And I know that every day we're going to think of something different and there are projects that we're going to keep trying to advance and finding new ways to reach people. So recognizing that um, you have to kind of throw out the rule book, so to speak. Another thing I would say is what I realized early on, uh, especially with Twitter, was that, was that um, you know, a lot of times you give reporters a bunch of information and they only use, you know, a couple sentences. And I realized, you know, we have so much information here and really it's information that people need. And that's one of the reasons we kind of started getting more active on Twitter and just getting information out to people, whether it's reporters, constituents, whoever, and just letting people leveling with people and giving them as much information as they have so that they they sort of feel part of this journey with us and they know that you know they have what we have and as you know there are pockets of the media that sort of i've realized this especially as the crisis has gone on and you can't really fix this there are going to be parts of the media that will always assume the government is hiding something or the government is doing something wrong or there's something they're not telling us and they sort of make it their day's work to get it from us and a lot of times we just don't have information yet because i haven't confirmed it with the lab or we haven't gotten the final figures from the, uh, you know, from an agency. And normally that would bother me, but we just try to be open with people and we just try to, you know, share information as we get it, as we confirm it. You know, we don't really try to, you know, meet the rhythms of the news cycle. We just try to get it out when we have it. Uh, another thing that's really important, I would say, is pairing reaction with action, um, not just reacting to news and, and saying, okay, here's my cases we have. Anytime the governor does a press conference, you know, he wants to be announcing things and showing people that we're taking action and then why we're doing the things we're doing and what they mean for people. Any different thing, whether it's the hospital surge and filling more, you know, and having more beds, you know, what we're doing to help people in need, food, blood drives, whatever. Um, and action should create clarity. So it's important to us, and that's why we get on Twitter when we can to explain things to people you know, I, we don't like situations where we do something and then there's a bunch of questions and people don't understand. Um, right. Action should create clarity. So uh, I know I'm jumping around here a bit, but um, that's another thing that I, we really try to take into each day is are we explaining what we're doing and why we're doing it? You know, pairing that with information and then just trying to reach as broad an audience as possible. We've done sports radio. We've done country radio. You know, we've done long form shows, short form things. You want to be everywhere as best as you can to reach as broad an audience. You know, you can keep doing all the same cable shows and that's fine, but you're only reaching a certain segment of the population when you do that. So um, that's why I think it's important to be everywhere as much as you can within the confines of the governor's schedule and his health, of course. Mm -hmm, um, yes. But um, those are the things. And, and I have to tell you that I haven't kept notes or anything as I go. Conversations like this are helpful because they kind of organize my thoughts, but you're learning so much as you go. And you're, and you're seeing in real time, uh, you know, as the crisis evolves, you know, a different narratives pop up and, um, you know, you're trying to educate reporters, a lot of whom aren't, you know, necessarily public health experts per se. And uh, that's a part of the part of our day. But um, as I said, it's a rapidly evolving situation and we just keep trying to stay ahead of it as best we can and keep adapting to the different circumstances and conditions. Well, Mike, I, I really need to thank you. I, I've actually written that down. Um, action should create clarity. Um, yes. You know, the, the three of us, uh, Chris, John, and I, have spent 
you know, 20 years plus each uh, in the Navy. Wow. Uh, and, I, and I will tell you that that's, um, that's something I'm going to, uh, to take with me uh, and, and continue to hone. So I, I appreciate uh, what you've offered right there. And I just want, I want to thank you for taking time to join us today. I, I would be remiss. Um, I know we're in the, we're in the middle of this, um, this dreadful virus. And uh, I, first of all, I do, I do want to thank you for what you're doing. It seems like uh, from what I take is that you're putting, you're putting the people first, you're putting Maryland first. Uh, but I do want to, you, you'd mentioned just a while ago about sports radio. Uh, you and I are both uh, New York born and bred, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so so Where are you I, from in- I'm from a small town called Wappinger Falls, New York. So uh, just a, a tad north uh, of, of where you are, across the river from uh, from West Point, those army blokes oh, over wow. there. Yeah, I grew up on Long Island. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, so I just want to throw this to you right now. I know we're all uh, a bit sad here about having uh, sure. having to miss opening day. Uh, you you Yankees or Mets? Mets. Mets. I, when you, you you said you're from the Long Island, so I, I think uh, you're still <laughs> another another, another year on. of paying Bobby Bonilla. Oh no! Hold on. Oh wow! That's, that's <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. But the one thing that makes me a little different from the typical Long Islanders is I'm not a Mets and a Jets fan. That's oh. too much pain. That's too oh. much pain. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a mitigating circumstance. We can take that. Mets and yeah, Mets and Giants is my Mets and my Giants. Job. Okay, that's not All bad. Right. Well, that's not bad. Listen, not listen. Bad. We'll, we'll take it and hope for. Uh, uh, a little bit of baseball here before uh, yeah. before too long because uh, I don't know how Absolutely. much more we could take. Mike Ricci, the uh, communications director for Governor Larry Hogan uh, here in the state of Maryland, they're doing a great job. Uh, really, thank you for taking time to come out today and join us here on Three Season a Pod. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. You got yep. it. Thanks, Michael. Uh, thank you, Mike. That was an excellent interview. Uh, really appreciate his uh, his take, uh, gentlemen. We uh, we close out each week. Um, as we, we look out on the horizon, uh, I believe we're in, uh, we're in about our third week of, um, of a shutdown in terms of, uh, you know, being ordered to stay at home. Uh, so let's go around the table. Let's talk about uh, just sort of personally how, how things are faring uh, in, in your world, in your community, uh, and what you see as we look ahead. Uh, Chris, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, how are things with you? Yeah, it's pretty much the same as last week. I mean, you know, enjoying uh, time with the family, but um, there are moments when uh, we all tend to climb the walls um, and, you know, thankful uh, that our health has held. So, I mean, you know, when we feel selfish or when we feel, you know, that woe is me feeling, it's uh, very easy to snap out of it when you think about people in New York or New Jersey or other places around the area that are really dealing with the horrible parts of, uh, of this crisis, not just the inconvenient parts that, that we're dealing with. Our kids uh, went back to school, quote unquote, this week. We've been doing some homeschooling uh, activities up till now, but today was the first day that they did school uh, online. Um, and I give those teachers a lot of credit. Uh, yes. know, the technology is um, you know, it's, it is what it is. I mean, it, it, you know, sometimes it works great. Sometimes it doesn't, but, uh, the teachers were upbeat, they had a great attitude. Um, so I, I give them a lot of credit and very thankful for, uh, their flexibility and what they're doing to, uh, make it so that this is a total loss, uh, for, uh, the, the kids of the region. Um, one thing, the last thing I'll say, um, in terms of looking forward, Today, President Barack Obama came out with his online endorsement video. He endorsed mm-hmm. Joe Biden for president that followed the endorsement of Bernie Sanders yesterday. I think you'll find that President Obama was a lot more upbeat and energetic um, as compared to a very serious and somber 
uh, Bernie Sanders. And I, and I think that's understandable, right. but man, was it nice to hear from President Obama, uh, <laughs> I will say. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, looking forward to there being a little bit of hope, uh, whether that comes from the Biden political uh, campaign or whether it comes from, um, you know, things starting to level off in, uh, in New York or, or elsewhere. I mean, they say we're still a few weeks away from the peak here, but Right. Boy, I could use some. I could use some hope uh, in uh, in how we communicate and how we interact. I think yeah. uh, with oh, hope boy. being the operative word, you always go last, with Sean, But I don't think it should no, be no this problem. time. Um, yeah, you you your story in and amongst the uh, the COVID crisis is pretty unique, and I know that you just had a bunch of uh, kind of sunshine reinjected into your life. Uh, here lately, why don't you go ahead and walk us through, you know, kind of the change that's taken place in your house, and I bet you would call it a welcome change. Yeah, no, hey, listen, thanks, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, Chris, uh, you know, to your point, um, something to be said for statesmanship, decency, uh, and, and sort of a, a collective unity or, or, or desire for our, our, our communities, our, our nation, uh, to move a little forward. Um, I'll, I'll look, I'll, I'll leave that right there where it stands. And, you know, just due to some things happening in, in, in my personal life, my daughters uh, have been with me now uh, since Easter Sunday. Uh, I was, I was self-isolating, um, self-quarantining, whatever you were, whatever you want to call it there uh, for 14 days. But I, I was also away from them uh, as I was taking care of some things in my personal life. So I really hadn't seen my daughters uh, who who I, I dote on uh, and, and love dearly, uh, hadn't seen them for almost a month. Um, so so uh, I've I've got I've got my daughters with me now. Um, here here we're we're under under one roof. And uh, Chris, you you had mentioned that you know that you know school has started for your kids, uh, and I, I know there are um, there are moms and dads that have been doing this uh, for quite some time. So I, I am no hero at all. Uh, but I have thoroughly immersed myself uh, into the role of principal, teacher, uh, cafeteria, cafeteria uh, personnel, and and custodian uh, here at the house. Uh, Got to give a lot of credit uh, to those teachers out there. Uh, just sort of uh, seeing, you know, you know, obviously what they do in the classroom, and now what they're having to do in terms of creating online uh, curriculum uh, for students and. Uh, uh, without getting a little too preachy, uh, let's uh, let's also not forget, you know, in, in my household, uh, I'm blessed with the fact that my children can jump on uh, computers and have, you know, unfettered internet access. But not every household uh, is set up that way. So let's, you know, let let let's keep uh, uh, let's keep things in perspective here uh, and understand that there are there are also other households. Uh, that are having some difficulty in in terms of this this quote unquote new normal uh, and 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 I it's a normal I don't I don't really want to get used to, uh, but yeah no John thank you um, you know uh, we're all dads here on on this show on three season a pod and uh, we 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 sort of um, I know I'm bolstered uh, by having my kids around me uh, and knowing that I'm able to be. Uh, to be a, a net positive in their lives. Um, I, th I think actually it, it's pretty much the other way around without them. Um, I don't know how positive my life would be. So uh, I, it's just, it's, it's a great time to examine, you know, I, I, I caution myself on using the word great, but it, it's a, it's a time in which you can examine uh, the perspective in your life, you know, uh, what's important to you. So 
Um, I, I'm glad to be around my children right now. I know uh, they would normally be in school. Our kids would normally be in school and we'd be out doing what we do. But under these circumstances right here, it, it helps you to examine uh, what's most important in your life and uh, and who is important in your life. So in, in, in the midst of, of, of turmoil and and some other dire circumstances, I'm going to try and find the positive. And uh, so I thank you guys for, uh, you know, for, for allowing me time to, to talk about that. I know I, I get long and I, and I apologize for it, but my, my kids are important to me. Uh, so I appreciate it. John, uh, thank you uh, for not allowing me to go last this time. Uh, I'll give the floor to you. Yeah, I'll keep the good times rolling. Uh, we're, we're thanking our um you know, our first responders and our teachers, uh, you know, really the people out there on the front lines of the healthcare industry. But, you know, I just came back from the grocery store kind of doing an essential uh, supplies run. And, and I'll, I'll, again, just thank people whose jobs are essential, the people who bring us mail, the people who are stocking grocery shelves at the, at the risk of their own health. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I will plagiarize unapologetically from Michael Ricci here and just say that I, I believe that, that the calm and, and the resolve that's present in Maryland, uh, people working essential jobs, people ensuring the health and welfare um, of the state, not just from a National Guard standpoint or a healthcare standpoint, but just from a basic services standpoint, uh, there, there's just a tone of, of calm and resolve here. And, and I think that is really a credit to Governor Hogan, uh, Michael Ricci, Cato Hall. Like Michael said, actions yield clarity. Uh, it is the quality and the content of your actions that will establish the clarity that's going forward. Um, I'm going to be looking forward to the upcoming NFL drafts. The Mel Kuyper mock draft 3.0 is up, and it's like anything and everything in the NFL world is focused on the draft during this time of year. Um, but this year, obviously, it's going to be a little bit different. How are they going to handle that? How are they going to do it via Zoom? Will they get Zoom bomb? You know, will, will it go off without a hitch? Will it have huge ratings because there's been no sports for the better part of a month? I'm interested to see how this will command the attention uh, of the nation. For me personally, the, the, the grind continues here at home. I spent the better part of two days ago putting up a badminton court, uh, complete with painted lines in my backyard. And yesterday, we had our first John McEnroe-like uh, racket throw and temper tantrum from one of my sons. So I think, I think the quarantine's going great. I think everyone's just pumped. On a serious note, I, I wish everyone good health. And I want to thank Michael Ritchie of the uh, Hogan administration for coming on again. And Bash, I'll throw it to you for the extra Yes, yes. Uh, that was, no, it was a great interview. I uh, really appreciated his insight and uh, look forward to uh, seeing more from Governor Hogan and his team. Uh, folks, we want to thank you for listening today. Uh, we appreciate you, as always, joining in on the conversation. Uh, if you're looking for more information on what we've discussed here today as your company or organization considers how to navigate communicating around this virus and other uh, hot topics and issues, feel free to reach out to us at provisionadvisors.net. Be mindful, be safe. You're listening to Three C's in a Pod. Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.